coming to you from San Jose Mercury News and the Bay Area News Group. It's the TK Show. And now here's your host, Tim Kawakami. Welcome, everybody. TK Show, another Memphis edition. This is promises to be the last Memphis edition, the way it sounds like this, because my next guest is apparently strolling through the streets of Memphis at this time. We, we, we caught him. We, we tracked him down. And before we go into the boot point, I uh, want to say welcome to ESPN's own Mark Stein. Mark, how you doing today? I apologize for the background noise, my man. Unfortunately, my setup, my setup here in Memphis is not quite as amazingly efficient as it is in Oakland, where I actually get to stay in the hotel where the Warriors practice here. I'm, uh, I wandered the streets trying to find a semi-quiet location to call you, and I failed. So I'm, I'm off to a weak start. You know, it sounds great when you're talking. It's just when you're not talking. You must, you must cue the band up or something when you're not talking. You're just trying to blare over my voice. And many people do try to do that. Uh, no, man, I'm, 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 huddled, I'm huddled in the corner of a restaurant trying to... I've got my phone covered in all kinds of muzzling devices, but it, it, it ain't working. Yeah, we appreciate it again. I appreciate you doing this. It's a busy time for everybody. Uh, you were out there with shoot-around. I was there for Warriors shoot-around. I guess you were there for Memphis shoot-around. Can you... Any sense from either team? What, what did you get from your time around both teams uh, before the big game six uh, where the Warriors can punch it? Well, I think we've reached the point probably where these teams are sick of talking to us because what more can they say at this point? I mean, Memphis is the more desperate team right now. The Warriors are going to great lengths to try to convince us that they're 100% focused and they saw what happened to the Clippers last night and they're not going to take anything for granted, but... Uh, you have to think Memphis will come out with more desperation. I just don't know if physically they can keep keep up anymore. I mean, I, it's a it's a huge it takes a huge toll to play the style that Memphis plays, and chasing around a potent and deep Golden State team. I I I think you can see the toll that it's taken on their main guys. Yeah, you know, if we can take this a little further, assuming the Warriors do end up winning the series and people want to listen to this conversation afterwards, which is what I would hope. Uh, do you think the Warriors coaching staff or the Warriors themselves figured something out in this series? And, and if they did, what significance is that as, as they move into later rounds? I think they've definitely made some great adjustments. They've probably gotten more props for Tony Allen on Bogut and maybe not as much for whatever fire they've lit under Harrison Barnes, who's really done it at both ends in this series. Uh, when we seen him on Zebo and, you know, who, who would have thought that was possible coming into this series? Um, it would played very, very well. I mean, they've, they've got everybody going, The what I don't know how much it translates to later rounds because Memphis plays such a different style than anybody else. So I don't know that anything they've really done here tweak wise is going to carry on. But, hey, they were 2-1 down, and they had to listen to know-it-alls like me and you talk about how tired the circumstances were and how they were finally faced with adversity. And, okay, show us now, Warriors, you know, the 67 wins. Forget about that. You know, prove it to us. And they have. I mean, I, 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 if they can finish this thing off in six, um, that's, that's quite a turnaround from where things were after game three because it was, it was looking bleak three games in. Yeah, that's what I, I think. Maybe it's just the fact that they can figure it out against a very different team. Yeah, they're never going to have to play like this again. You know, this is the one team that that seems to make the Warriors have to 
the most. But just the fact that they did adjust the way the coaching staff figured it out, I think that, that's the significance I take out of it. Would you say you know, this coaching staff maybe feels pretty good about itself right now? You know what they have such – I mean, we, we always talk about chemistry on teams. They've got great chemistry on a coaching staff. Uh, you know, I give, I give Kerr a lot of points for his honesty talking to us, and you've got to give him a lot of humility points for saying, you know what, I've been around this game my whole life, but coaching is a big step, but it is a big change, and I need experienced old heads around me. And, you know, Alvin Gentry and Ron Adams are – are two of the best brains in this league when it comes to the coaching and their specialties. And I mean, they work as a unit. They've got a lot of coaching firepower on their bench. And, you know, we've seen a lot of teams that, that don't do it that way. And, you know, you, you hear maybe coaches aren't as willing to listen to their assistants. Well, I think, you know, I, I think they attacked it as a staff and they came up with good stuff. And I, I give Steve Kerr a lot of credit for that because he obviously is getting all the credit and, you know, every single win he get, he he racks up anymore. You're hearing, you know, first year coaches and this, that, and the other thing. I mean, he's constantly setting all these records for first year coaches. But uh, you know, he leans on his guys, and and it's paying off. When, when they made the move, when obviously when they fired Mark Jackson after the first round loss, um, what were you thinking about the front office? What were people around the league thinking about this front office? I thought it was a huge risk. I real now. I'm obviously not around the Warriors as much as you are. I certainly wasn't around the Warriors in recent seasons like I have in this season. This season, I kind of feel like I can almost, I can almost vote in Oakland. I've been there so much. But uh, I really thought that the buy-in Mark Jackson had from that group was that it was a big risk to throw that away. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to punt on a coach who has Steph Curry and other prominent players in his corner, you better be sure you can replace him with someone who can replicate that or reestablish that. And, and that is really what, what I think Kerr has done best this season. And, and, and to me, it's a big part of Steph Curry's MVP case, and, and he never gets much credit for it, and nobody talks about it, and there's no analytics that you can measure that. But for as, as much as Steph Curry backed Mark Jackson, and now he gives Steve Kerr that same backing, that's a huge leadership move that to me enhanced Steph's MVP case crazy and just the way Kerr came in here, met with every guy personally, went to great lengths to go see him, knew who was replacing a popular guy. He's been humble at every tournament. He's handled it as well as he could have handled it because it, it really should have been harder to replace Mark Jackson than he's making it look. Yeah, part of me thinks that maybe that's having some effect on the way teams are looking at their coaches now, maybe, you know, you're seeing playoff coaches, maybe multiple playoff coaches are going to be removed. We'll see what happens with Thibodeau and Chicago. I assume the way I've been reading you, that seems almost inevitable, correct? Uh, Chicago is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't find anyone in the league who thinks there's a way to salvage that thing. And, you know, now Tom Thibodeau, a fantastic coach in his own right. I mean, you look at the, the, the number of wins he's racked up over the last five years, playing long stretches without his franchise point guard. I mean, his record speaks for itself, but, you know, he is a very demanding coach. He is known to grade on his players. Uh, you know, I, you know, the buy-in issue would, would probably not be the thing that, uh, you know, enhances his case for staying in Chicago, because I'm sure after five years, he's, he's born on some of the guys there because he's so demanding. But I, I just thought, you know, 
it takes guts in a way for, for Steve Kerr to want to to wanna follow Mark Jackson because, you know, now look, I think in the aftermath, you know, guys like me on the outside have come to realize that it wasn't a 1-15 to unanimous love fest for Mark Jackson. There yeah. certainly were players in the locker room who, who were, or maybe, were not as fond as him as maybe outsiders like me thought. But look, Steph Curry was back in the night. That's all you need to say. Steph Curry supported him publicly, privately. The Warriors still made the change brought in Steve Kerr. It's gutsy. That's a, that's a, that is a gutsy dice roll in today's NBA, and it, it paid off. Yeah, it's, I guess maybe the closer parallel, I was thinking maybe Oklahoma City when you, you had Durant. Maybe not quite yep, as strong yep, as right. Brian Brooks, but you know, I, I don't know that, that teams, you know, people said, oh, you know, Kevin Durant's going to be mad. You didn't run Billy Donovan through Kevin Durant. And look at that. Or, you, you know, Anthony Davis was backing Monty Williams, and you didn't run that firing through Anthony Davis. And, one, I think teams might do it quietly. And the other one is I don't know that you want to put that kind of responsibility on a star player, even in the NBA, because what what happens if everyone identifies the new coach with the player, then he's kind of a pawn of the new player, and it, it, it could really go wrong then. That's my feeling on it. Look, Sam Presti is as thorough and meticulous an executive as they're in in this league. If you think he made that coaching change, without at least having a good idea of how Durant and Westbrook felt about Scotty Brooks leaving and Billy Donovan coming in, you're kidding yourself. Of course he factored those things in, but I, I think you're exactly right. I think you're seeing teams publicly trying to go to lengths to protect their guys because, look, what happens? We, you know, In the media, we're, we're going to go the other way. We're going to say, that guy's a coach killer. He got that coach fired. So um, I think that's what teams are trying to – protect their guys from it. And I do see a lot of similarities now that you bring it up in, in the removal of, of Scotty Brooks and the, and the removal of Mark Jackson, because in Oklahoma city, you know, all they talk about is culture, 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 culture. And Scotty Brooks was a huge part of that culture. And the reason Sam Preston picked Billy Donovan is because he's convinced that as a, from a culture perspective, Billy Donovan will be the perfect fit for the Thunder. I think a lot of the same stuff applies here with the Warriors is that they wanted, you know, Steve Kerr is going to be on the same page with Bob Myers and Joe Lake and Jerry West. And it's going to be a much more collaborative relationship. And that's something that the Warriors wanted. They didn't want a coach with an us against the world mentality. They wanted a guy who was going to play on the same team. And, and they have that now. Yeah. I think the bigger picture for me, just, and Curry's different, obviously. I mean, he's, He's such a different kind of superstar that I think we can all recognize uh, such a gracious superstar. But you want to be a front office that can hire a guy that your superstar will see is better, right? I mean, you want to be able to say, we know you love the old guy. That's great. We think we can hire someone, and we know he's so good that you'll like him too, and you might even like him better. Instead of being fearful that, wait a minute, if we get rid of your guy, the whole thing blows up. you got to have the confidence that you can hire yeah, and I tend to always, you know, I like teams that swing big and take dice rolls and make, I just like bowl, but, you know, if, 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 you know, I'm a neutral when it comes to the NBA, you know, I'm going to the finals no matter what, so I'm, I'm lucky, the, the, you know, I don't have to be a fan and, and rise and fall with, with any specific team, but if, if I was, you know, if I'm an NBA fan, I want my team to be a, a chance taker and you know, Golden State took one, and you know I think it's the same thing in Oklahoma City. It's it's an unpopular move in a lot of corners because Scotty Brooks was there for a long time and did good things and was so close to his two star players. But if Sam Presti decides to roll the dice, I think his record is such that you you gotta back you gotta 
put your trust in him. So, uh, you know, I, I generally, I generally like the approach and I, I, let's face it, that's, that's probably a big reason why Bob Myers was voted executive, executive of the year. And I like the way Bob said it when he got the award, this, this award is really for front office of the year and, and, and the Warriors have a deep one, but clearly have a good one. What's Chicago's front office like? That's one I don't know really well, but all you hear about is the turmoil with Thibodeau and you hear that they were, you know, Paxson and Gar Foreman and maybe even Reinsdorf were on. We don't know about Reinsdorf, I guess, but is, is that a bizarre front office or is that a well-run front office in Chicago? Well, look, the, the, there's no there's no quibbling with the fact that the last few coaches there have all had issues with management. There's no getting around that. But in terms of the moves they've made, I think you have to say they've made very good moves in their front office. I, you know, my feelings with Foreman and Paxson have always been good, but you know, it's coach after coach after coach that you hear these stories of friction. And the reason you're hearing Fred Hoiberg now so strong is the guy that, that they wanted because, you know, Scar Foreman and Fred Hoiberg are close. If Fred Hoiberg is there, you, you, you would like to think that, that the friction we've seen between some of these Bulls coaches and management will, will, will not be there next time. So let's see if the Bulls can actually convince Hoiberg to leave his college kingdom, which is a pretty comfortable position for him. And I imagine it's not going to be easy for the Bulls, but uh, the overall thing I think you have to judge a front office on is it's, it's track record in terms of team building and, and you know, the Bulls have done pretty well there, I think, by, by any measure. Uh, Thibodeau, uh, you hear New Orleans for him. Would, would you mark that down in pencil or maybe some? Yeah, other I, 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 I couldn't go stronger than pencil at this point. But what I do know is there, as we reported today on ESPN.com, there, there is mutual interest there. Tom Thibodeau is very interested in that job. Pelicans are very interested in talking to him. Now, will that result in a deal? Uh, I think we'll have to see what Tom Thibodeau is actually looking for. And look, first and foremost, the Bulls and Thibodeau have to come to some kind of divorce, which nobody is quite sure how that's going to go. He's got two years, $9 million left on his deal. Everybody thinks the Bulls are going to hold out for a draft pick like Boston got from the Clippers. And it also appears that Tom Thibodeau is just going to keep saying, I'm happy here in Chicago. Fire me. I, I, I'm not going anywhere. You guys get rid of me. So how that standoff took out, we got to see that first, I think, before we can really see do New Orleans or Orlando, which is another team that really wants to, can either of those teams actually get it. And that sounds like Jim Harbaugh and the 49ers, by the way. I know that's not your sport, but that's what it's that's funny. It's funny because I did a I did a radio interview in, in Dallas yesterday and that exact comparison was thrown at me and the host just like you caught himself and said, what am I doing bringing up an NFL example this time? He doesn't know what I'm talking about. He was just proud that I knew Harbaugh. He, he, he was proud that I knew Harbaugh was at Michigan now. I got points for that. If it involved Tottenham or something like that, then, then you might be able to talk about it. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, so, okay, let's go Orlando. Well, if it's not Thibodeau there, who, who would you say? I haven't heard very much about that one. Well, that's, and the reason is, is because they basically put their search on hold waiting for Thibodeau. They're, they, they want him badly. They're going to try to get him now. Uh, you know, there's this sense out there that, that after all the kind of headbutting that Thibodeau did with, with management over the years in Chicago, that he's going to want some semblance of personnel control. Would Orlando be willing to give that to him? Orlando has a young roster, a lot of interesting people, but is that the kind of team Tom Thibodeau really wants to coach at this point of his life after having a very veteran team that's been contending for the last five years? I'm not so sure Orlando can get him. And if, if they don't, 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. We really haven't heard many other names. I would, I tend to think, look, Scotty Brooks and Scott Skiles are the, are the two most natural targets next in line for them to go after. I don't know that Scotty Brooks is going to coach next season. It wouldn't shock me if he took a year off. So Skiles, who is a legend in the Magic Kingdom, still beloved by fans for his playing days, is going to have to be patient, but I could still see Scott Skiles winding up with that job. And in Denver, again, that's another one. I, I just don't hear many names connected to that one. Yeah, because you know Denver. I don't. I don't know how attractive a job that really is. Look, ultimately, someone's going to want it because there are only thirty of these jobs. But De- Denver's going to have to be a little bit patient because I think even Orlando could probably offer more than Denver in terms of young players. And also, you're in the East. You're only one trade away in the East from becoming at least a playoff team, if not a contender. So uh, all the focus right now is on Chicago, how Tibbs gets out of there, what, you know, what mechanism triggers his departure. And then from there, I think New Orleans is first in line. And then, and then we'll see Orlando and Denver shake out. You think Alvin Gentry's name gets, in, gets thrown in there seriously for any of those? Oh, no, no, no question. I think all those teams would have interest. The question is going to be, you know, Alvin has a, has a very good job right now. I don't see him at this point in his life just jumping at the first head coaching opportunity that's thrown at him. I mean, he's essentially the associate head coach with the Warriors. So, me, I would imagine that he's going to want to wait for a job that is, that is really, really attractive if he's going to leave because there's, you know, he's, he's been this three or four times now. He doesn't need to go chasing the first head coaching job that comes up. So I'm sure Denver would be interested in Alvin Gentry, but if I'm Alvin Gentry, do I want to leave a potential champion for a team that's 12th, 13th in the West with no, with no clear path to move up? I'm not so sure I make that move. You know, if I'm New Orleans and you don't get Thibodeau, I think Alvin Gentry works pretty well there, figuring out how to get you know Anthony Davis to score thirty-five a game. I'm no question. I don't. I don't, I don't disagree. With, I don't disagree with you one bit. I mean, look, Alvin is a fantastic offensive coach, and you know I think you have to give him a slice of the credit for the Warriors' offensive success. I mean, he, you know, Steve Kerr came in saying he wants to run a pop stuff and some of the old Phoenix stuff, and, and you know Alvin kind of helped him meld those two offenses together. I mean. His, he really did well when he was with the Suns, and there's no question he should be a coach again in this league. And uh, I, I would imagine you're right. You, you give him Anthony Davis, and they could do some damage. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up for a little quick. Make sure to get you some time here. But I asked everybody. I'm definitely interested in this one. I've gotten like restaurant recommendations from you in the past. Uh, what's your favorite restaurant? What's the what's the place you like to go to more? Which city? Any city you want. You can do. You say Dallas. You can say anywhere. Oh man! If anywhere, you know it's going to. Well, I'm the one who needs the recommendations. The mayor. It's been so long <laughs> since I've been there, but I've actually grown quite fond of Old Oakland. I got I got my spots in Old Oakland, and I know uh, our man Mark Spears is always telling me I need to branch out and check out the the food in Jack London Square. But man, we, we need a whole show if we're going to talk restaurants. That's that's. Uh, I probably know. Yes. I probably know okay. more about that. Give me, give me one in Oakland, then. Oh, people love it. Give me one in Oakland. Well, my uh, my sphere is pretty limited, but I've been very happy with Desco, uh, the Italian place in Old Oakland. I uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that I've maybe popped into the Rose. I don't even know how to say it. Rosa Monday, like 
gourmet sausage grill. I'm not saying the name wrong, but it's, uh, it's quite it's quite good. Um, there's that open air market on Ninth Street, and of course I don't know the names of the places, but there's uh, there's a little Mexican spot in there I like. But man, I like I told you, uh, I've been in the Bay Area more than 20 nights already this season. I've only had I've only had two meals in San Francisco. I'm seriously delinquent. I need to get out in San Francisco and and uh, and start dining. Like a, dining like a seven block radius around the Warriors headquarters is what we're basically talking about. That's basically that's, that's basically as far as I've moved. Man, I've uh, you got to go to Oakland oh, Chinatown, by the way. That's not I know I haven't. I haven't. I haven't yet. Man, I haven't even been to Jack London Square. I'm. A, I told you, man. I'm. I'm failing. It's been that kind of postseason. Much going on. I know you very well, and none of this surprises me, by the way. So uh, it, it's all good. But listen, appreciate the time. I know uh, things are hectic. Things, although the restaurant seems to have uh, quieted down a little bit. I pers- you must have ordered everybody to shut up, which I do appreciate. Uh, yeah, it actually did empty, did empty out a little bit. Yeah. I, I will uh, see you in a little bit, and I hope to have conversations. Well, I don't know. I might blow you off into the future. And I don't know if I need to talk to you anymore. But, uh, uh, Mark, uh, great having you on. And I can't even – we didn't even talk soccer, mostly because I don't know it. But I should have asked about three or four soccer questions. After I, go to my, after I go to my first earthquake game, which hasn't happened yet because they've been on the road every weekend I've been in town, when that happens, we'll come back, I'll, I'll come back on and talk some earthquakes. I do hear good things about that. Like, would that stadium be considered a good one anywhere? You know, I did see it. I did see it. I did see it because I flew in and out of San Jose for the D League showcase, and the stadium's right there near the airport. It did look very, very nice. I have not seen a game there yet, but uh, if the Warriors keep winning, you can safely assume that I will. Uh, I will go see Mr. Wondolowski before uh, before the NBA playoffs are over. They will love that. All right, Mark. Again, appreciate the time. We got game six later tonight, and hopefully, uh, we'll, uh, we'll be, no matter what, it'll be basketball after that. I appreciate it, Mark. We will talk soon. Sounds good, man. All right, thank you, everybody. That's the second Memphis episode and final Memphis episode of this season. I appreciate everybody listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks.